here in New York, you know, or the subway's crowded, like there's a lot of people, but I can bring awareness to my breathing and then, you know, do a deep breathing in anywhere and I don't need to have a, a meditation mat or cushion somewhere. I can just be like, oh, my breathing, I can do it here. I have enough space to expand my belly. And I like to think that the Buddha didn't have a big belly from a lot of eating, but from, you know, big breathing. One of the most powerful tools available to us is our breath. It can help us regulate our physical and mental health, build endurance, and awaken the body's latent abilities to heal itself. But we sometimes take our breath for granted. We inhale, we exhale, but just not deep enough. It's as though our breathing style resembles our fast-paced lives. Welcome to another episode of the Soul Space Podcast. We are your hosts, Adrian and Thal. Today we hang out with New York-based artist-slash-technologist-slash-meditation teacher, Hannes Bend. Hannes guides us through a powerful 15-minute meditation that is inspired by his training in the Wim Hof Method, Tibetan breathwork, and neuroscience. He tells us how yoga and meditation has helped him heal from decades of anxiety and depression. Hannes also shares his latest creative project, Breathing AI, a patented software that can personalize the colors and fonts on a screen to match your physiology, or as he puts it, your heart's favorite color. We hope you enjoy our wide-ranging conversation. It is our pleasure to bring you Hannes Bend. Yeah, like I think I remember you mentioning you'd be interested in doing like a <laughs> bit of a guided breathing. Mm-hmm. Maybe... Yeah. Maybe we can start with that, and then we can kind of like go into a conversation after just a well, brief like, a brief exercise, if you if you don't mind. No, I can. Uh, we can start with the breathing. Okay. Right away, breathing guidance. Okay. Nice. Amazing. Well, awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'd just like to uh, recommend and invite you to find a comfortable spot. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you have a chair, maybe you lean back on it, or so, and um, then one really fun, but maybe a little bit uncomfortable exercise right away is to just to shake it all out but we do it on the breath holding mm-hmm. in tibetan medicine the breath holding part is the part of transformation and healing so i found it's very um, powerful just oh, yeah. to hold the breathing and then shake everything out but we, ideally we start with a big belly breathing mm-hmm. so really breathing um, deeply into the lower belly and then into the upper belly and then into the chest and then we take two of those inhales without an exhale in between to try to get, get as much air in as possible and always with a smile. So deep inhale, with a smile. No exhale, just another inhale on top. And then holding the breathing and shaking everything you feel comfortable like shaking. Maybe like just whatever it is, the head, yes, no, the, the arms, the torso, and all on the breath holding. So while you're holding your breathing, maybe the shoulders, maybe in opposite direction, and try to hold your breathing for as long as possible. And just letting everything shake out even if it feels weird to do it, like we're the only ones being recorded, everybody else does it later. It's not seeing themselves or is not being seen. Just try to hold it for as long as possible. Whatever feels like shaking. Maybe if you're cracking, which I just did, that's great. 
and try to hold it for as long as possible. And you, when you feel you can't hold it anymore, and come back to center. And then ground yourself, maybe keeping the eyes closed. And then exhaling. And then the next deep inhale with a smile. And just feeling in where you feel new sensations in the body. Keeping the eyes closed and just sensing any new sensations that might come up. And deepen the breathing again, deep into the lower belly, upper belly, chest. And then gently placing one hand on the lower belly, and one hand on the upper belly, or on the heart. And just seeing if the breathing all the, goes all the way into the lower belly, and then to the upper belly, chest. And wherever you can relax on the outside muscles, the more you can breathe, expand from within. So really trying to expand the lower belly as much as possible. So we oftentimes say it's a six-pack free zone here. So really want to let go of any outer muscle tension and really expand the lower belly, then the upper belly, then the chest, then breathing into the upper chest, adding a smile. And then on the exit, just letting go. Every inhale is a really, really deep, nourishing inhale. Maybe the slowest inhale of the day. Really slowly expanding the lower belly, sides of the belly, sides of the upper belly, even breathing into the lower back, then breathing into the chest, almost breathing into the shoulder blade region, expanding there, expanding the shoulder region, the throat, expanding the breathing all the way into the crown of the head, expanding the nostrils at the end of the inhale, adding a smile always. And then whenever you feel you can't inhale anymore, just letting go. And one more like this, a full deep inhale, all the way into the lower belly, upper belly, chest, upper chest, throat, adding a smile, then into the crown of the head. When you feel you can't inhale anymore, inhale even more, adding a smile, and then just letting go. Now trying to it's, try to keep this breathing going for maybe we do 11 more. If you feel dizzy, that's great. It means it's working. Maybe and then placing both hands with the palms up, facing upright, on your um, on your thighs or on the table. It helps to breathe a little bit deeper. Just the palms upright, and then again breathing deep into the lower belly, upper belly, chest, upper chest, throat, adding a smile, and just to breathe, letting go. The inhale is like an expansion from within to expand like the inner universe of organs in a way, like really expanding, creating space for the lungs and the hearts to dance, adding a smile. And then on the exhale, just a brief letting go, fall into the dance of the planets, into gravity in a way, inhaling, expanding, adding a smile, especially if there's like some dizziness or discomfort. Just adding a smile always creates some happy hormones. And just to breathe, letting go. Every inhale maybe could be the deepest inhale of your life. If memories are coming up or any like sensations in the body, that's great. It means that it's working. Expanding the lower belly, upper belly, expanding into the chest, upper chest, nourishing yourself, creating space from within, adding a smile. And then every exit just to breathe, letting go. Nice, beautiful. Like maybe we take 11 more now. I like to take more. Breathing for every round. Mm. Starting in the breathing into the lower belly, upper belly, then breathing into the chest, upper chest, throat. Adding a smile and then just to breathe, letting go. Take 10 more like this. 
expanding the lower belly, the deepest inhale and the brightest smile. Keeping the palms facing upward, upright. And then the breathe, letting go. Every inhale could be the deepest of your life, really expanding from within, creating space for the inner organs to dance in a way, expanding from within the inner universe. And then just to breathe, letting go, like the dance of the planets, to the universal dance, gravity, inhaling, expanding, nourishing ourselves with as much oxygen as possible, adding a smile, and just to breathe, letting go as an act. I think maybe seven more. Maybe I can't sometimes count a little bit more, so that's fine. If you're inhaling, expanding as much as possible, maybe as never before, and adding a smile. And just to breathe, letting, inhaling, expanding, expanding into the sides of the belly, the sides of the chest, really nourishing yourself with as much oxygen as possible, adding a smile, Need to breathe, letting go. The last five, maybe intentionally with the brightest smile, the deepest inhale, expanding, maybe imagining the the oxygen flowing through the whole body, nourishing the cells and your organs. And just to breathe, letting go. Last four, smile, especially if there's discomfort. Adding a smile helps to create beautiful, happy hormones. Inhaling, expanding from within as much as possible, maybe imagining feeling lighter than air. And to breathe, letting go. Last three, with the brightest smile, maybe from ear to ear or beyond the smile. Inhaling, expanding the lower belly, upper belly, using into the chest, upper chest, throat. Inhaling even more. And just to breathe, fall into gravity. The last two. Again, a deep, nourishing inhale. Maybe imagining creating space for the lungs and the heart, giving yourself an inner massage, expanding the belly. And just to breathe, letting go. The last inhale with the brightest smile. Inhaling, nourishing yourself, bright smile. Expanding, expanding, expanding. And then just to breathe, letting go. One more inhale, like a deep inhale. But now it's a relaxed exhale, so you consciously relax your inhale muscles in your diaphragm, So and then hold the breathing after the relaxed exhale. So a little bit of air might stay inside, but you relax your entire body and your entire inhale muscles. So you just, and then you just hold it after the relaxed exhale for as long as possible. And then just try to hold it for as long as comfortably possible, trying to relax any tension that might come up. For me, it's often the shoulders or neck. Trying to let go of that tension and just hold the breathing for as long as possible while relaxing the body or noticing any new sensations in the body. Even if it's just like tiny little sensations somewhere, tingling and numbness, just bringing it into your conscious awareness and just holding the breathing for as long as possible. And then when you feel like you can't hold it anymore, taking a deep inhale with a smile and then holding the breathing again. And now, especially after the inhale, breath retention, there's oftentimes some new tension coming up and trying to relax, especially in the shoulders or neck, trying to relax that tension and relaxing it, keep holding the breathing. And just noticing any new sensations, maybe shift of energy after the deep nourishing inhale and then the retention. Sometimes there's maybe like new 
euphoric energy or so in the body. Maybe just tapping in where you feel that euphoria or that energy, that vitality. And then when you feel like you can't hold it, hold the breathing anymore, just letting go. And now a few deep nourishing exhales. So taking an inhale, and then the exhale, trying to um, contract the muscle, um, contract the muscles as much as possible. So exhaling, 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 and maybe even if you're leaning forward, just because you're contracting the muscles so much, exhaling. Maybe giving yourself a little hug, feeling the um, muscles that contract on the outside, on on your ribs there, and then exhale when you feel like you can't contract the muscles anymore, contract even more a little bit, and then letting go of that contraction, and maybe notice how you're immediately filling yourself up with air, adding a smile here, and then again when you feel like you can't inhale anymore, just letting, contracting, exhaling, exhaling, maybe feeling, pushing, placing your hands on the sides of your ribs there, where the contraction muscles are, and then feeling it contracting, contracting, exhaling, 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 exhaling even more. Exhaling until like the whole muscles are like a little bit like folded, sort of, and then letting go of that contraction, adding a smile. And feeling how you immediately nourish yourself with energy, adding a smile, and then one more like this. Deep, deep exhale. So really going in, like hugging yourself, maybe contracting the exhale muscles. Exhaling, 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 exhaling even more, maybe. And then when you feel like you can't contract your exhale muscles anymore, exhale even more. And then letting go of that contraction. And just feeling how the energy nourishes your body, the oxygen coming in, adding a smile. And then I, I like to end the sequence of breathing with... Um, uh, loving kindness meditation because we did so much like um, practice with the body and just maybe keeping the eyes closed and imagining somebody you're deeply grateful, you feel a lot of gratitude for, you care deeply about, you have a lot of love for and just imagining being in the presence of that person could also be a pet or an imaginary friend you have like really deep feelings for, of gratitude and then taking a deep inhale and feeling that feeling of love and gratitude in your body Feeling where it is, feeling it as you is, is it, as it is you, like your whole embodiment of that feeling of love, care, and gratitude. And deep inhales, maybe almost as if you would amplify that feeling with every inhale. And then on the exhale, sending it out to that person, as you would kind of like some kind of superpower where you can and send it out as like rays of light or so, inhaling deeply. Feeling that feeling of love, care, and gratitude in your body. And then sending it out on the exhale, the letting go exhale. So deep nourishing inhale, amplifying that feeling. And then on the exhale, the letting go exhale, just sending it out to that person or entity. Then another inhale, feeling that feeling of love, care, and gratitude deeply in your body. And then just sending it to yourself. Maybe that person. You'll be there in presence, but you're sending this feeling of love, care, and gratitude to yourself for just being, being here now, inhaling deeply, 
amplifying the feeling of love, care, and gratitude. Maybe the person might still be there you also care about in your imagination, and then exhaling, sending it out yourself. Inhaling deeply again, feeling that feeling of love, care, and gratitude in your body. And on the exhale, just sending it to yourself. Deep inhales, feeling that feeling of love, care, and gratitude. With every inhale, it goes even stronger and grows bigger. And only exhale, just sending it to somebody you think who needs it today or in wherever it is in the world. Sending it out, inhaling deeply. Nourishing that feeling of love, care, and gratitude. And then sending it out to that person. One more inhale for that entity or that person who sent a lot of care and gratitude to inhaling deeply. And exhaling. Three last ones for each other here, for being together, breathing together, inhaling deeply, feeling a feeling of love, care, and gratitude in our bodies, and sending it out to each other here, all of us, inhaling deeply, with a smile maybe, and exhaling, sending it to each other, all of us, one more, maybe the deepest inhale of today and the brightest smile, deep nourishing inhale all the way into the lower belly, upper belly, then into the chest, feeling a feeling of love, care, and gratitude. And then on the exhale, standing into each other here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Is it is it okay if we do a bit of sharing? Maybe I'm curious to to also yeah. hear what foul experienced there, and I'd love to share some of my experiences. Yeah, I'd love to. First, I I just realized how um, shallow is my breathing. <laughs> oh, it's like wow, and um, I was very tense in the beginning, and then just towards the end, it was just my body just had to like surrender, um, at, like or else I wasn't fully experiencing the benefits. Like the, my thoughts were taking me here and there. And I was like, oh, thinking about the interview, thinking about so many things I have to do. And then towards the end, just the depth of the breathing is just forces you to like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me too, similar, like with the inhales, the first couple were really challenging. Like I felt like very blocked, like, oh, I can't bring any more air in. I felt yes. tension. Yeah. But towards the last couple, it was like a little easier. But then when you said euphoria was actually the moment I was sort of also detecting a little bit of like joy coming. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was in the face, so like a lot of uh, sensations in the face and warmth. And yeah, so it was pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Thank oh, you. I think yeah. But it was yeah. really, re it was really nice to have you coaching us mm -hmm. along because it is challenging. Mm -hmm. Some of those deep inhales felt like. I was thinking it would be hard to do on my own, so I was really grateful that you're walking it, you know, walking us through it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, uh, it is literally, you know, the science on deep breathing, it connects us to like the memory part more, so a lot of tasks are coming up or memories from, from way long ago or, you know, as like tension in the body, as embodied memory, so it's really interesting what like deep breathing does and then it sometimes those can take us away because our mind is so powerful. 
So it's, I think, helpful to have like a, a guidance, like either as a voice or a visual or whatever we're working on these days too. So yeah, thank you <laughs> for trying it. In this goes like it gets really interesting if um, with more rounds. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, so the Wim Hof, it's like Wim Hof inspired, G two more sort of, and um, where I just added a smile on there in a way. Mm -hmm. So then, then like a lot of discomfort that comes up gets a little bit resolved with like while adding a smile on there and you literally create happy hormones and then uh, and then doing more of it and then also the the exhale I just learned that from Dr. Risa Caparo which is so beautiful where I feel like when people have a lot of breathing awareness they especially with Vim's technique or G2Mo they focus a lot on the inhale so this other one is so beautiful because you just you hug yourself also and then you really contract you let go you activate your parasympathetic more and then it's like this opening where you just like it all comes in. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's a really nice way to start a conversation, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, very I, I'm glad we were, we were starting with that. You know, we didn't even actually get a, a, a chance to, to welcome you officially to the show. So thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Yes, oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, sorry. Uh, I think I did something by me. Yeah, I just wanted to turn. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, can can we maybe start actually with with the the exercise itself the practice I'm curious how you how you uh, discovered it like you know um, at what point did did these become a big part of your own life and then you decide to teaching it to other people oh yes yes um, good question um, I was um, um, well obviously I had a phase of like you know su like really intense suffering like decades of depression and anxiety which I wouldn't really want to acknowledge. So, you know, I was already very successful and then, uh, it's like the longer story a little bit now. <laughs> so an ex-girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend, uh, left like a blue yoga mat. We were like, had long distance New York, Berlin. She left a blue yoga mat in Berlin and I was, was not feeling well. So I just like thought like, oh, why not trying yoga? And that was, uh, maybe I think seven years ago or so. And then, or over seven years ago. And then I started yoga, I did really intensely yoga like every day, maybe sometimes multiple classes, vinyasa, um, jiva mukti, ashtanga for many years. And then that, like, I felt much better already. And then I did a lot of, and it's, I, I really liked, it was focused always like on inhale and exhale. I had really good teachers, really, um, I think the essence of yoga is always to focus on breathing. We can talk about that more later. And then I did vipassana for years with multiple retreats, started that in Myanmar. And so did that very intensely, like every day, those two hours or sometimes more. And I still like felt, I was then also working in neuroscience, it was much better, I, you know, I was working on a really high academic level. And then, um, but I still felt a lot of anxiety and stuff like in my everyday life. And then I learned about Vim's technique and I was kind of blown away by the study and then also by the the self-reports and what he was doing so so then I explored that and I noticed like wow this is just like like a fast track in a way to get rid of anxiety or depression and and just feel happy and then uh, yeah and then I learned some other techniques from other breathing practitioners and like deeply grateful for Vim and all those practitioners who, who um, have been like yeah guiding those practices for all those years and and invested their life in and because it's so so groundbreaking and so I, I learned really the cold exposure and uh, the breathing technique is really very very powerful and so 
up to the point that I feel like I can't do Vipassana anymore. Because, <laughs> I mean, the Anapana, because yeah. in Anapana you focus on observing your breathing, and I, I think it's not possible anymore. Because mm. it's like a constant guidance of the breathing when so, I'm awake. So, before I mean, the seven years, did, was meditation or yoga part of your life at all? Oh, interesting. Wow. I don't know. Mm. I was, a, I was a successful artist in a way. I got a visa for the okay. U.S. and exhibiting here, but I was not. I was not happy really. I was like, you know, like the next thing that wasn't good enough, and mm -hmm. seeking this thing, and yeah, I was like, not in a good place. And I didn't really. My friend said sometimes like, why don't you try yoga? And I was like, mm, I don't know. It really, the suffering wasn't great enough in a way to try it or something. I don't know. It's weird. Mm. So yeah. So yeah, it, it it sounded really like um, the Wim Hof method for you. There was a there was a turning point. It sounded like it was uh, sort of noticeably different from some of the other practices you were starting yeah. to to dive into. For those who may not be familiar, could you maybe uh, offer just a little bit of description? Of what is the technique, and what were what were you personally experiencing with it? So Wim's technique is uh, heavily derived from uh, ancient Tibetan Jitumo. Vim kind of refined many techniques, and um, it's a very it's focused on also cold exposure, but the, the ground the basic is really uh, breathing. So it's a very long inhale, and the way I understand it, because sometimes I feel like people are doing like the push out exhale, but I, I really like like the letting go exhale. Mm -hmm. So it's a really like a deep nourishing inhale. We kind of create space inside as much as possible, and you can only do that by actually relaxing the outside muscles and any tension. And then letting go, and this is, those are like 30, 40 breathings like this, and then there's the breast retention in there, which is also kind of um, very derived from Tibetan medicine in a way. I'm not sure if it's intentionally by Vim, but um, so it's easy for people to hold their breathing for a minute or two. I, I did like workshop with kids; they were able to hold their breathing for four minutes or more. Um, so that's already, you know, like people like feel a lot of things as you guys were describing, you know, like people feel tingling, numbness. So it's very effective, like in the moment, because you change your own blood chemistry very effectively. And then, so if you, if we would do two or three rounds of that, that would be really, really interesting, probably, especially for people who are new to this. And then that has been uh, scientifically studied. I can talk maybe later on, like how Vim has been approaching scientists and, and I. And scientifically studied with like great results. So 100% of the study subjects were able to fight injection of E. coli bacteria, and they had higher amounts of adrenaline than somebody on a first bungee jump. And all those people were only trained in four days in the method. So it wasn't that they were going through months or years of training. They, you know, they just got like a peak in by, by Vim in a way. So and so 100% in a in a peer-reviewed science paper of a subject, 100% of the subjects. That was really that's a really good, powerful study uh, technique there. So um, and then there's cold exposure too. And the people who are doing the breathing in the clinical study didn't do the the cold exposure in that moment when they were injected. But also people were able to go into cold environments. So it's a very powerful technique to learn how to deal with the cold, especially here in New York. Six months of like cold had already started late yesterday with a snowstorm um, in November. So it's very effective for that and stress management. And um, yeah, so it's really, uh, really good to deal with everyday stress or with the cold and align yourself in a way also with the forces of nature to not feel like it's, you know, the cold is out there and it's like, and so basically kind of warm from within, inner fire. 
So hopefully that was like a, and to sum it all up, there's so much to talk, to talk about Bim's technique and how he got there. And if you want, I can elaborate on that too. So. That, that was actually, that was great. Thank yeah, you. Nice. Um, and, and so for you at that time, you, you mentioned that you were uh, experiencing depression. And so mm -hmm. when you began these practices, what was changing? If you don't mind sharing a little bit of just the, if, at the experiential level, um, yep. when, when you began the cold exposure and the breathing, what was happening to you? Um, so I feel the, the most groundbreaking one is like feeling integrated, feeling interconnected in just being, you know, in the world. So, and I feel like those years of depression, I mean, I had birth trauma, so probably derived from that you know, I felt like there's like a disconnect, you know, so like there's like the other and then there's me here and then, and in a way it also probably can, you know, now in retrospect, it feels like there was a disconnect from my brain and my mind and my sense of self to my breathing and my nervous system and my body. So, so that's what I, how I would describe it now. So if, for instance, a colleague and, um, was guiding a meditation technique and uh, he's also done Vipassana and he said just observe your breathing and I was sitting there and I couldn't observe my breathing and I was like I tried and I thought like oh it, it would feel like as it would have to cut something out you know like like a connection from my brain to my vagus nerve or whatever you want to scientifically describe it I would really need to cut something off and it would that would like feel like suffering just losing that kind of integration that interconnectedness in my within my body and then within the world also and I feel like that's also part of depression. You don't feel integrated. You don't feel like interconnected. You, you don't feel like we're one in the world or one with the world in a way. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. um, do you mind um, sharing with us uh, more details about the, your birth trauma? Oh yeah. And how it's connected to your depression? Yeah. So <clears throat> I had a. I wasn't coming out, and my I had an umbilical cord struck around um, my neck. And so, um, so I didn't. My brain didn't get enough oxygen. They said in retrospect, or they said afterwards. And um, and they they had a, an expert on cerebral palsy there, uh, where I was born, and uh, a German expert. It was in Germany, northern part of Germany, and he said that I had mild cerebral palsy and I might end up in a wheelchair because my uh, the parts of my brain, you know, responsible for movements and stuff weren't getting enough oxygen. So, so my parents were advised to try a very intense physiotherapy called Voita method, V-O-J-T-A. And uh, I'm not sure if it's allowed to say, so if I, if I uh, look at a video, it's like, you know, I, I get shakes and tears because um, they like bend the baby and all kinds of things. So it's, so basically the first years of my life, you know, the, my parents were like, the people who loved me the most and have loved me the most through my life were, you know, torturing me in a way, you know, not intentionally, but just to make, help me to, to not um, end up in a wheelchair and like, you know, gratefully and thankfully, um, eternally grateful to them, you know, cause they, they had the time, you know, sometimes parents don't have the time or the resources to have their kids when they had, when they're diagnosed with cerebral palsy or mild cerebral palsy to go through that the first year of their life to, to help them to to have those body movements. So, so a lot of that was connected to that, you know, this feeling. And I, I felt like an immediate threat through most of my, that depression when the people were approaching me. So, which was kind of weird that it's gone now. You know, sometimes I, I might sense a little bit because New York subway and people push you or something in like intense environments. But 
otherwise it is I just notice afterwards like oh my god my whole life I sense somebody coming close to me as like some threat or something because the first year of my life I had this experience it's like people who, who cared me to cared for me the most were you know causing me pain um, but that's why I also believe so much into embodied practices and you know the subconscious because a lot of the memories you can't really access through words and through psychotherapy so we really need to go deep into like embodied practices especially and, because your trauma was um, pre-language yeah yes yeah. And, and so um, so most of your pain and suffering was around that time there was nothing else like in teenage like during teenagehood or young adulthood well I mean it, I was able to learn walking you know and I was like I happened to be really good at school so maybe that part of my brain whereas like logic was was getting enough there at, uh, at birth or so or after um, but uh, so I was good at school but I, I grew very late so I got bullied at school a lot and and I had really bad acne so when everybody was dating I was like I was at home just trying to hide in, in the shades or something so until I was like 21 I had like the worst acne and, and it was like what 20 or something it was not no fun and so so I don't know I think it was all kind of related because I think they gave me hormones at birth or something and my parents still can't like my father really has a hard time when he hears the baby cry or so and so I think it was all kind of related to that like you know like hormonal imbalance or whatever it was and they gave up me at birth and after birth and so so it probably lingered on until my 20s and then you know end of my 20s so okay it's gonna it'd be a long process and I didn't really like cope with it and didn't know how to cope with it in a way until I discovered all those different methods and then, and then the breathing technique um yeah I don't know so yeah <clears throat> So you so you, you mentioned you you grew up in uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. um, what what brought you over to North America? So you're in New York City right now. What was what was yeah. the journey there with your youth and and where you are right now? Uh, I got it was like kind of like a, a universal guidance in a way. I don't know how to describe it. Like there was I was working in Berlin for ten years, and then I already discovered like yoga there. Did it intensely. It wasn't so much there back then. And then I, I come in, was coming more to New York and Miami to, for art exhibitions. And then I was granted a visa here. I had like residencies I got invited to. So it was like a calling to be here in a way. And I felt also I was like an environmental activist since I was like six or seven years old for Greenpeace and stuff. So I was always very engaged. But I think things are pretty good. I also have Norwegian family in Norway and for my father in Norway and Germany so I felt I don't know when I came to New York streets are so polluted and Miami also we worked on in that um, ecological catastrophe there in the ocean so um, so I felt there's a lot I could maybe contribute here in terms of environmental activism and then mindfulness maybe and so what kind of brought me here. and then they gave me a green card too so I'm still here <laughs> Maybe I'm skipping steps, uh, but uh, so when did technology play a role in your interest? Because you, I know you're currently very interested in the space around virtual reality and using biofeedback as well. Uh, how did that come into your, your interest? Yeah, so that came basically based out of, it was a combination of neuroscientific research and um, the breathing technique and uh, and then sort of conferences, attendances and working with EEG personally. So uh, while I was doing neuroscientific research study studies with the lab of Ed Vogel, which are um, 
I can elaborate later on maybe they're really interesting how we got there because um, also through skepticism of one researcher but and then but while we're doing the research I work with Mike Posner and um, spoke at conferences um, on, about the, the findings I went to a VR conference and then I saw whoa those are people really invested in ego shooters and and uh, all kinds of gaming stuff and it was very you know male dominated you know let's say like uh, like my body is male too but you know it's like a lot of like masculine energy yeah you yeah. know like it's yeah. like the at the Lewis Hotel at 2014 or I think 15 or so it was like a Oculus VR conference it was like interesting, really interesting games in a way but I saw like oh this is going to be the, the development of technology focused on ego shooters and dopamine driven or adrenaline driven things and it's that's what people want to engage in in the future because those people are driving that technology so how can we actually use this immersive technology to, to for more embodied and integrated experiences so people feel more interconnected and I saw a really good way to integrate biofeedback in there because then you only have that very isolated immersive environment but you, you can see your own heart rate or you can see your own breathing patterns and your own senses and so kind of not skipping but kind of using what is also used in yoga you put yourself in very intense postures and situations and then while you're in there you need to connect with your breathing and calm your breathing down in order to get more into those postures and calm down so similar with VR you can also be in like a very you can you can connect with your your with your inner senses in a way like as visuals so I thought that might be very promising when you see your heart rate bouncing and then maybe also feeling it at the same time like where do I feel my heartbeat here I see it here where's the accuracy and then making it fun also so making using the kind of like the same game mechanics and the same fun experiences they use in VR for ego shooters well not necessarily ego shooters but other like playful experiences and then <clears throat> tying it in with biofeedback so so it's in um, so it's yeah it's like kind of used in a in a fun way and it's it's not meant to be like you don't have to go on a meditation retreat you don't have to invest hours a day on like a mat or something which I think is still like sort of niche and people especially in New York or urban environments don't necessarily have the time to so what if we can gamify that even though that's sometimes a misused term but how can make it fun in a way so so that brought me into that and and then uh, multiple projects came on top of that after the after I worked at the University of Oregon on that for a few years so um, so now we're at a space where actually I don't want to use VR anymore so I just want, want to integrate it in everyday technology because I don't want to really put like a screen in people's in front of people's face anymore so I find it interesting because I think um, often we associate technology or modern technology and devices as um, being dysfunctional towards, you know, our, our embodiment. You talked about being present in the body. And here you are sort of looking at ways to actually use or, or, or uh, design new technologies that might actually enhance our embodiment. You know, at sort of at first glance, it sounded kind of almost paradoxical, um, but it, it sounds like it's possible, right, with some of the stuff you've been experimenting with. Yes, and and I feel like if technology is not something out there. It's like it's an extension and an enhancement or acceleration of human intelligence and insights into reality. So whatever is in technology is like just what we what we focused on mostly. And so obviously, if that's if that technology is driven by by the gaming, because gaming is very successful in computers, so then people are gonna have those similar feelings. So they're very you know attached to it and. 
feel like they, you know, like doing more of it and, and swiping and, and texting and whatever it is. So, so I feel like there's actually, so how can we use the, the, the insights from mindfulness and biofeedback and neuroscience then combine it with it. So like right now, most of the things are with VR running through the visual cortex and, you know, dopamine there in the brain. And so, and maybe it integrates haptics or something, but it's not really like looking at, you know, like the senses we have, which are creating so much joy, I feel like breathing awareness and interoception. And we're one of the few species, interoception means we're aware of our internal organs. And we're one of the few species that can become aware of our breathing and aware of our inner organs. So if we forget about those senses, we probably forget a lot about the insights we can actually have on reality as humans. So, and I feel like I've never met anybody who, you know, does like a lot of breathing techniques or has those like awareness of those inner senses or, and who says like, oh, I don't want to have, want to have that anymore because I think it expands our, our happiness and, and what we can, how we can be of service in this world. So, um, so yeah, just like, I think it's just a combination of that kind of like very mind driven and visual approach of VR or like whatever everyday technology these days into integrating the, the body and the mind and the body more and the breathing for me. I like that. So, uh, and then it's like, it's makes it makes people hopefully feel more integrated and more experience, more joy. And then, you know, looking at more like, Oh, you know, I, I feel already happiness. So I don't need to do all this other, like, seeking things attachment things and i did maybe before and like how can be more of service of society and uh, the planet and... speaking of service um actually yeah the, the first time i met you back in march was uh, through a mutual friend but then shortly you invited me to join one of your meetups in in manhattan where you uh, teach people how to breathe deeply and, and using some of these techniques um can you share with us the variety of ways that you teach, because I know you teach in different settings and different spaces. Yes. Yeah, I work. Uh, I work uh, as a mindful educator for the nonprofit organization Mission B as well. So we go to schools, like middle schools and high schools. So I do that sometimes once a week, sometimes less when I'm traveling and for work. Um, uh, last school year, I had like a few classes, four classes or something. So I had hundreds of students. And uh, I really enjoy that, like it's bringing it to the, the next generation. And at summer camps, I do it like with private clients, reach out to me who just want to like, work one-on-one. -on -one. It's get, getting more in-depth because if I have groups, it's like, tricky to guide somebody's individual breathing patterns. So for instance, like, there's like one really good tip is like people on the letting go part. <laughs> That's sometimes really tricky for people. And if it's like 10, 15 people or something, it's hard to say like, you know, like, can like say it but not individually but sometimes like really hard for people just like to still push out the air to just like this letting go part i mentioned it now because if people are trying it at home then that's a really good one just to like go to like allow the inhale muscles to fall into gravity and i think that's a really good trick to to get into more a relaxed state to learn how to like allow the inhale muscles which nourish us to like fall into gravity and not to like to kind of like hold on to like control that in a way um, but anyway, but like back to the other thing. So I, I guide private client, uh, private clients. I guided it at the Rubin Museum at here. I'm at the assemblage. I was guiding it here a few times. I go to WeWork headquarter and guiding breathing techniques there to their staff. So, um, so yeah, I do, I can adapt it to offices where it's more like a 20, 30 minute breathing technique or I have a meetup group, which are like over 200 members now at uh, Elizabeth street garden once a week. Um, so 
it, you know, if you one thing, can it, like, do if somebody hears that, like Elizabeth Street Guard needs some support because they might get destroyed um, by real estate developers and stuff. So, if you can, please go to their website, Elizabeth Street Garden, also on Instagram, and support them. Sure, we'll we'll add those links too in the episode description. So this is our fourth episode, and it's the first time we have um, mindfulness teacher on. So um, can you tell us more about mindfulness? I know there are different types, and people have heard the word everywhere. Um, yes. There's loving kindness. There is um, just awareness of the breath and observing. So maybe just uh, talk to us about that a little. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so mindfulness, like a uh, scientific explanation from John Kabat-Zinn's is um, being present in the moment non-judgmentally. So it's also just focusing on whatever can help us to be to be here in the moment and not to label things, not to necessarily um, analyze things, just to be here. And so very um, efficient ways or effective ways are breathing awareness. Because you focus on, because that's always going on. So focusing on breathing, maybe either like observing it or if people have more practice like forming it, then it also creates more, more joy probably and more energy. Um, and so when we're guiding it, we do it's also affirmations we do sometimes, so doing like positive affirmations when people say, like, oh, you know, I can't breathe into my belly, like an affirmation would sometimes, would also say um, that we reform our body in a way, so say like, no, I can, I can let go of tension and I can breathe, into, I can learn how to breathe deeper into my belly, so that's for instance also kind of like a mindfulness exercise we do, where you're like learning how to be present in the moment, creating positive affirmations, positive outlook, so uh, we have a, like a uh, Karen Winter, who runs Mission B, she has a very um, profound curriculum where we go through with, with kids or um, teachers. And I really like the Tibetan practices, which I which I guide. So they're like really focused heavily on on different body movements and breathing. And so there are like so many practices. And I think it's really helpful for people to try out as many as possible and to see what resonates with them, where they can feel more grounded in the present moment and experience like. Um, it's not always like joyful because memories can come up from the past and then just to it's also it could be acceptance so mindfulness being like oh this this happens in the moment now and I know also from my friends or colleagues who had like intense depression sometimes it's just like or anxiety sometimes it's okay to, to say that and to acknowledge that and that's also could also be in my perspective saying like oh yeah in this moment I feel stressed and I feel tense and it's okay and I think just to not to try to push it away because I feel that could intensify things, just to try not avoiding that feeling and just being with that feeling. And um, I was like in the quantum physics lab for a few years in, at the University of Oregon. And Benjamin Alleman, the professor, he, we had a chat once, and I remember he said, you know, pain is such a miraculous thing or so, you know, because like what is pain? We should focus on pain, it kind of goes away. You focus on that area of pain, it goes away, but if you're trying to avoid it, it gets worse, you know? So it's just pain itself and so mindfulness kind of like being okay with it even though it sounds counterintuitive but by ex by that acceptance and by that awareness of it it usually decreases suffering and helps to be more happy on to those mindfulness practices how can i teach my oh, kids those things <laughs> yeah that's a really good question i honestly i have to say the the breathing works the best and there are other things so they as a group, they like different games. Numbers. There's a numbers game where you have to see like randomly, like um, accelerating numbers, and to be 
and they have to step back because if they say like one, two, three, then they just want to shout it out. It doesn't work, but just to take a step back, that's a really powerful one for kids, but also the breathing. So honestly, like I've done that with like two year olds, three year olds and up to the age of 82, just like the deep inhale, mm-hmm. the letting go because they, they, they change their own blood chemistry, you know, like there's nothing as powerful for kids to change their own blood chemistry and their own feelings. As a collective, it's, it's one thing to have games, but then as a as an individual, just changing their own blood chemistry. So, so and I remember that was at the summer with a three-year-old at the beach, and it was just like, you know, he was holding his. We did it. I think he was holding his breathing for 30 seconds the first time, and then he was so active the whole time at the beach. He was like running around while. And then at some point he came back. It's like I want to do it again. You know, he wants to do, do hold his breathing for a minute or something. So and then it was the only time when he was quiet for the whole day when he held his breathing. We did the, you know, we did the breathing and then he was holding his breath for a minute and he did that and it's just his mom was, you know, very stunned that he was doing that. And because uh, oftentimes when I did it at summer camps, you know, close your eyes and you know just notice your thoughts and the kids are already like one second they they're in and and opening their eyes. But if they feel that it makes a difference in their body uh, chemistry, it's it's very powerful. So I know that Vim's uh, Vim's focus and his team is not so much on on kids or so, and maybe it's like the adding of like you know like a more gentle deep inhale with a smile and the letting go exhale, which makes a difference because I don't know because it changes the blood chemistry. So maybe some people are a little bit wary to not do it with kids, but I think. You know, like just like nourishing ourselves with energy is beautiful. So I, I would highly recommend that technique. And so, uh, yeah, I can get, send you some tips too. I remember uh, whether either it was you that mentioned this or maybe I was reading this on, on your site, um, that you volunteer at a high security prison as well and you bring uh, breathing or, or mindfulness techniques. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I still have that like volunteer pass. I haven't done it for a few months. Uh it's been a bit tricky to go in there by myself sometimes, so it always depends on the facility. I've been doing that on and off since 2014 to go into high security jails on Rikers Island in the Bronx. So I wish I could do it more. Like, lately, I've focused a little bit more on the the tech part, on the conferences, traveling around, and then the mindfulness in schools because it's like the jail complex in the U.S. is very tricky. I've been in there so many times in Rikers, and it's very disorganized inside of there. It's hard to get, you know, sometimes there's alarms, so I travel there a few hours forth and back, and then I can't get in because another alarm is set and they close the facility. But it's very, uh, so I can, and it's very, it's a world in itself, which is disconnected from this. So people who don't know about that, there's like literally like 80, 90% of um, people who identify with African American and Hispanic are in there mostly and it's and it's really like it's really hard to get out of that loop so whoever can volunteer I highly recommend to get in touch with the local jail or um, prison and to see there there's always volunteer opportunities mostly it's sometimes it's hard to get in but we can you know do that more and more I think and it could be just like a storytelling event it doesn't have to be mindfulness or breathing that's a very good contribution because it's so so disconnected and people are not aware of that, that millions of people are incarcerated in the US. Are there any insights that you've gained from your experience working with jail? Mm, I think they're like one, you know, the easier it is to, to get in there, um, the easier the practice is, the better. And we, when we did yoga, we had, uh, when I got in, went in there for, um, for a while for your company organization, 
there was a you had we had to get the mats and had you know get the space for the mats to get out and but the people liked it they were receptive to it they they I even asked for the yoga practice and with mindfulness and breathing it's a bit easier because you can do it on chairs and it also doesn't have so much of a of an image where yoga or sometimes like inmates were around there and like making comments because you you know it's some weird posture or something that can happen I mean it can happen anywhere with yoga I think so. Um, so yeah, I think like whatever like the easier practices to go in there, it's it it works and it has a reception. So and it's like people don't necessarily have the access in there if they if they able to get out of that like um, reincarceration and stuff, then then probably their main focus is first on survival and stuff and making it in, in a legal way. And so there's like it's so accessible for for. So many of us in this community, but I think spreading this out to people who, who never heard about breathing or mindfulness is very important. So that's what I learned that was really powerful, and and I think it needs more, it needs more like public programs like this and maybe funding for it and stuff. So which would make it more easier for people to to go in there and and uh, kind of help to change it from within. Yeah, you, you mentioned a few times already about. Um just the area of research, and I know you have a little bit of background in, in uh, re- research and, and academia. Um, what, are, what are some of the big things that were sort of surprising when you, when you became personally interested in breathing and mindfulness and then also tying in the science? You talked about blood chemistry. Um, could you share a little bit about, you know, um, for those that might not be familiar, what is happening to the body physiologically when people are engaged in these types of practices? Yeah, so it's so a funny thing. Maybe a little funny story in the beginning. How I, how we got into the, the studies on meditation was, I was doing wanted to do a study on visual stimuli, or we already started it with EEG. So we went because there's not a lot of studies out on how people when people perceive visual stimuli, what happens in the body, what what are stress responses. So we can talk about that maybe later with the current approach. But so I, we we did the studies on EEG, and the lab of Ed Vogel was about to leave the Institute of Neuroscience at the University of Oregon. So they didn't start a lot of new studies, and we had like an EEG boost um, for us, kind of on the weekend too. So one of the researchers I was working with, she invited me on on a Sunday or so to come there, and she set up like a setting for uh, on meditation. So she, because she knew I was doing meditation, and she was very skeptical on it. So she said, like, "Oh, you know, I'll just like hook, hook harness up with EEG electrodes and see, you know, how in the, you know." somewhat experienced meditator if they can change their brain frequencies so she did a very good you know randomized uh she asked me randomly to meditate you know breathing awareness and four different we, we randomized or with like one control sorry hennis we just lost oh, a little bit of connection there maybe the last like 30 seconds oh yeah so so in the researcher invited me to to come to the eg lab and to uh, practice four different meditation techniques randomly, because she was kind of skeptical, I think, about can can it change brain frequencies? And then the results showed that, that they were very different. Um, I think it's on my website or so, like very distinct, you know, shifts of brain frequencies. So it showed up, you know, as like changes in brain frequencies with with different techniques, or three and then one baseline, so or one um, where I was doing anything or. So, so that was very interesting already. And then, based on that, I started to work with Mike Posner. Michael Posner was a renowned researcher at the University of Oregon, over 80 years old, to so looking at an MRI. So, um, 
so that also like you know, with MRI, fMRI especially, you can look at like blood flow in like specific tasks. So you ask the participant to do a specific task, and then you compare the task and look at the blood flow in the brain, or like compare to baseline. So so we did that too, and that was um, uh, interesting too because like I did uh, one was for instance vipassana. So I was um, we did a control oftentimes on us. So with the EG also I had like way more other people afterwards because that was so successful to do it. But with the MRI it's very costly. So I went in there for the first time. So then I can say like does it was I meditating well or not? So I brought like awareness on my different body parts, but also on my brain. And then actually my brain had the most blood flow, the most activity showing up in an fMRI analysis than than when I was, you know, focusing on different body parts, which was interesting because there wasn't really, there's not really a scientific explanation to bring awareness to your brain itself. And then I went to the science of consciousness in Helsinki and I sat next to a researcher from Princeton, Ray Lee, at a dinner, just randomly in Helsinki, and, and we both noticed that we're doing a similar study setting on like asking people to bring awareness through their brain. Um, and he was doing that just, just like that in a way. So just that as a study focus, and he was running the MRI lab at Princeton. He was the first who had two people in an MRI um, lab. So so we just sat there in Helsinki. We're like, oh, we're doing the same kind of study, just like on the East Coast and the West Coast. And then I went to Princeton too, um, traveled there from Oregon, and then um, later I moved back to New York. But so I, I was in this MRI scanner too, and then you know he he was showing that the experienced Tai Chi practitioner or other meditators including me, were able to bring like, you know, like entire blood flows through their brain and still like he published it at Stanford at the same conference where we presented at 2016 at the Computing Wellbeing, AI Meets Health and Happiness Science, uh, where we uh, presented and published paper. But so that was really interesting already. And then the breathing, that was only on the Vipassana technique and the body scan. But then we, we went more into the breathing uh, me especially, and then I learned about BIMS technique, which the paper blew me away. It was, uh, it was written up in Nature, which the most, the best, so I was like, yeah, the most renowned uh, science journal where they reviewed it, and then, uh, and then it, it was published in PNAS, peer-reviewed um, journal, um, where they showed that through the breathing techniques, people were able to change their um, blood chemistry, so they were able to release through 20 or 30 minutes of breathing more adrenaline than somebody in the first bungee jump and my hypothesis it has to do with the kidney because we on our kidney we have the adrenal glands and so when we probably push down the diaphragm or do deep belly breathing we activate that more so we feel also more alive maybe it could be fatigue for some people when they do this deep breathing because they're not so used to so much adrenaline but I think that's that's my hypothesis that it activates that and if we breathing only shallow here which most people do they breathe like you know 15 or 20 times through this, so we have to breathe so much faster in order to get the same amount of you know oxygen in, and so it's a constant activation of what is called the sympathetic nervous system in science, so the, the fight or flight response of the nervous system when we breathe through here. An inhale is connected to that, so if we do like a really slow inhale, you know we activate that too, the sympathetic nervous system, so the heart rate goes up, but we also release more adrenaline through belly breathing, and also adding a smile then also creates more happy hormones. I feel so. Um, so yeah, those studies on VIMS technique has been very profound. And then injecting people with E. coli bacteria, mm -hmm. they're able to resist it. I think even like the blood showed, even like the blood samples afterwards, especially in VIMS blood, showed like 
it could still resist certain things after a while, uh, after the taken out of the body. And then E. coli bacteria, yeah, there's so many different things happening. Somebody reads the PNES paper, reads about it, so it's really effective on a, on, on a it's like momentary basis. You know, people don't have to do like years of meditation training through breathing techniques. They can really get a lot of benefits. And when I was guiding, when I'm guiding breathing techniques, um, sometimes people come by, they've done Zen retreat for a week or a 10-day Vipassana, and they say, I feel like at the end of like this one hour or an hour and a half, like I feel like at the end or the peak of the, the retreat, because it, it gets them to such stages really fast. And that's why I believe so much into like breathing awareness too, because all of all those reports and all those studies. So um, I invite everybody to try it out and to give it a chance for an hour or so, like any like those breathing techniques. Um, yeah. Well, people are not only gonna resist E. coli bacteria; they can also resist their own negative thoughts. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, yeah. like the thoughts, and I, I feel like it's it's getting the awareness from year to year. So so. Over and it's one of the one of the key ingredients also cold exposure because I feel <clears throat> there are a lot of triggers for everybody outside in the world but um, one of the most stressful experiences we can have is the cold and uh, I mean I work with people who are you know athletes or like see see really powerful like athletes doing like the ice baths and workshops I I've guided or you know Vim has guided to thousands of so many or millions or more people and then sometimes the people who are really buff and like this they have a really hard time going into an ice bath mm -hmm. when they tense up. Mm -hmm. So you really have to relax and to like kind of align yourself with the cold. And a really simple way is for people to take cold showers. But then also and taking cold showers at home. And it's just so simple that, you know, there's not a lot of lobbyism out for that. Um, but taking a cold shower and actually relaxing. So um, going into a cold shower and relaxing, even though it feels counterintuitive because we're so trained to like, oh, stress response comes, we're breathing shallow, tensing up. So, but unless the body sh starts to shake by itself, we're actually physically fine. So going into the cold shower is also a good test to like train like, oh, you know, negative thoughts might come up or like I say like I can't do this, but actually kind of saying like going in with a focus of like I can, you know, I can be in this cold shower and I, I can keep my focus on deep breathing. And I think if people go into this intense, stressful environment like a cold shower, and they're able to keep the focus on deep breathing and to relax their, to relax their body, then the cold shower is no problem, but also they're able to transfer that into their daily life. So like all those triggers which were there before, you know, in work environments and their personal life are not as intense anymore. Or, or if there's a, a stress comes up, like the body knows like, oh, I can solve the stress with bringing awareness to my breathing because I did this in this very intense cold shower. So next time a stressful environment a situation comes up you know with more cold showers and more breathing training people will be like oh i'll take a deep breathing now instead of losing losing my composure and reacting and i think that's really that's really for me the besides the feeling of, of feeling integrated in every moment it's also this awareness of that breathing awareness that breathing awareness when stressful situations arise because i think that's when we lose that and we can be calm and easy, but if something comes up as a as stress, um, which is always self-induced in a way, because mm -hmm. things are just the way they are. It's just like our our stressful response to it, unless you know something is harmful and, and threatening. But um, but then you know that kind of awareness, like oh, you know this 
you know, the subway is crowded, like the, the subway here in New York, you know, or the subway is crowded, like there's a lot of people, but I can bring awareness to my breathing and then, you know, do a deep breathing in anywhere and I don't need to have a, a meditation mat or cushion somewhere. I can just be like, oh, my breathing, I can do it here. I have enough space to expand my belly. And I like to think that the Buddha didn't have a big belly from a lot of eating, but from, you know, big breathing, belly breathing. So it's, but it's tricky because our society, I was just talking with my friend about it um, last night. It's so, so trained on, you know, six pack. And it's like, I feel like it's kind of people are aligning themselves with like, you know, breathing here. Because if you have a really tight, you know, six pack and belly there, you really breathe through here. And it's, it's not like, it doesn't create more joy, I feel, you know, it's like, so... That's why you have a picture of your belly on your website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, like that. It's really I'm cool. Old. Maybe this is just a little bit of my own lack of understanding of, of the chemistry. Um, deep breathing, it, it sounds like it's beneficial for people in a high stress, anxiety state. Um, but you also mentioned that by, by practicing this way, the adrenaline levels go up quite a bit. So it seems like a like a paradox because adrenaline I feel like is associated with stress so what would be the benefits oh. of increasing the adrenaline yeah well I mean to be to be more alert to be more aware in the moment to be more present and then also to have more energy so um, I think it's not like that linear of an explanation that adrenaline is like fear it's more like how um, so that's why Vim has a nice quote, feeling is understanding. So while doing those practices, like feeling like, oh, what is actually like fear I need to do or like what are like stress response of my body I need to have, you know, when like adrenaline gets released or something, you know, we can, um, so being like, okay, you know, like it's like I feel euphoria or I feel ecstatic, but um, which also, you know, like adrenaline gets released when when uh, when euphoria is there so so it's not that it's like so so linear with this so it's very powerful when you for instance like those images where people are lifting up cars just by themselves they can't do it when they're in a group or something but they like sometimes you see them pumping themselves up or you see like people who who weight lift a lot of things and they pump themselves up and they release a lot of adrenaline in order to be able to really feel more stronger and and uh and powerful and they richly are more powerful because of that adrenaline um, but it could also be used just for like, also for grounding in a way. Just but be more, more of an aware grounding, more powerful grounding. Um, it's just like how to how can we bring awareness to our own feelings in the moment and not tie those strong feelings to to fear, but to more you know love and kindness and care. So that's why I really like to practice always love and kindness meditation at the same time, because me and I think everybody else can always benefit from that every day because so much in society is not focused on that and um, so yeah I think like adrenaline or dopamine whatever gets released could also be used for for the for, for mindfulness it's just like how to how to tie it all in into a holistic experience can you share with us um, the project you're currently involved in I saw actually on your Instagram uh, like a prototype of it and maybe describe to listeners what you're working on so we are working on uh, creating personalized screen experiences and audio too. So when, when you're looking at the screen right now, like the brightness or even like the, the slight color modifications could be, could be personalized, customized to, to our own um, breathing patterns or heart rate. So the prototype we just exhibited last weekend actually um, displays different colors and font styles to people. And then um, 
analyzes what is the slowest heart rate or what are the heart rates on average to each color and font style and then shows you know like this is your this is your heart's favorite color so you know we're really trying to look at what is our nervous systems or heart's favorite color or our lung wings favorite color um, so or font style and it's shown like um, I was really blown away there's a video online also um, we put up that some for some people if they look at for instance gray their heart rate dropped for and you saw maybe um, the mutual friend of ours who introduced us he's in there he had like gray was like 44 beats per minute or something it was like way less than for instance pink or something so it's like pink was 20 beats more per minute or something so so if if somebody if he somebody like him who already did that months ago shifted his um, his phone to grayscale without knowing about it having data on it you know he l literally lowered his heart rate every time he looked at the phone so but for some people it was pink you know so you you can't really tell like it's like one color solution fits everybody that's why I really believe all those phone experiences need to be personalized and, and my belief is really that we can lower the global stress levels 10 15 percent or more and we have the solution now that it, that works so I'm really 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 excited for that because if we can we can use a simple um, webcam here to, to detect uh, heart rate and breathing patterns, and that's what we did. So people were looking, they was analyzing the, their heart rates through the webcam, and we're, our focus is really on transparency. So um, always making sure that when they when they opt for using, that we the program uses the webcam, that they make sure that it either stays in their own computing device, or it would be shared to the network, but only to improve the general program and the programming, and it won't be sold for, um, uh, for profit, so I also made sure like I got the patent a while ago, and so I've been talking with Google and other companies, and we really want to make sure that it's used for well-being and deep breathing, and because it can really target somebody's autonomic nervous system, but and personalize advertisements, and so it could be a Cambridge Analytica times a hundred or something or way more, because um, could be so could could drive up somebody's heart rate and down based on the, the program knowing. Um, what what color or contrast or font style will impact somebody a lot, but that's what we really work on. I think it could be integrated in any chat app in you know everyday life, because we also show like some people, for instance, like had a really dis big difference between green and blue. So if, imagine those people had like an iPhone. So every time they text somebody with an Android, if the Android drives their heart rate up, they you know their heart rate goes all the way up, so they have this super intense stress response when they text with somebody from an Android and if they find blue more calming then um, or their nervous system finds blue more calming then every time they text with somebody who has an iPhone too then they feel more calmer so really wanna like um, make every phone um, personalized and adaptive so it recognizes what colors with font style, contrast, etc. will will help them to calm down and we really got like almost 80-90% accuracy or even more I would say shy away from saying 100% but people were really responding to that if you saw the video we had like only 14 interviews on there with people but um, we didn't display it to so many people but you know people were saying yeah this is the color I I choose gray and I have my whole home painted in gray you know I have to and then somebody else had their uh, bedroom in blue so and then blue was literally the, the color which the um, program de depicts as their most calming and some and then somebody had like pink also she was always choosing pink for meditation when she was going in intimate like in a very quiet space to be with herself um, she was choosing pink and the program also detected that as pink so something so simple as just using the webcam could and machine learning uh, could 
could help improve our daily lives so much and we now know that we have that that it works because honestly I was working on this for a few years and also in VR a little bit and, and AR um, but you know the patent especially was kind of based on a more a hypothesis that it would work and to adapt uh, tech experiences screen experiences to the users um, biodata but now it shows that it can so I'm really really excited for this and uh, just had a call earlier today and keep talking with people so if you know anybody who wants to have a personalized website or app we can always happy to chat in any way to help help support that because uh, I think billions of hours are spent by the whole humanity every day on texting and emailing and, and it, that could all be personalized based on our heart rate and breathing patterns so it's just it's just like that it's just like just like whatever like help somebody to breathe deeper and then the, the next goal is actually using deep learning and breathing detection so the deep learning will kind of using AI in a way to say like, you know, what can, it's not there yet, the belly breathing, you know, but we can like, how can, how can, you know, each person be trained in a way, be, the screen experience be personalized so the person are breathing deeper and deeper and deeper. And I feel it's just, it's just the most natural thing. We have like all this lung wing structures in our, in our, you know, all this lung wings here and all this capacity to like nourish ourselves with every inhale and we're not doing it. So I think it's the most natural thing to say like, oh, how can we make technology focus on that, that we can really use all these tree-like branches of our lung wings to nourish ourselves. And studies the last years have shown that our lungs are also producing a certain blood component and deep learning could be very effective. And I think that's the most beautiful use of machine learning to learn about ourselves and how to like guide us to a more peaceful and calm state. So that's what we're really working on. And first iteration is with heart rate, so using the webcam or the mobile camera and to, to personalize colors and I feel I, I can talk about everybody. I, I really like it's sometimes like a visual. It's like we, whenever we're on the screen, it's not personalized at all. So we're always interacting with a code by a, a team of designers and developers somewhere at Apple or at Google or something. So there's there's no it doesn't consider our heart rate at all and our breathing pattern and our nervous system. It's always run through a visual and our haptics or something. So so really we can what we can do is like get like the users bio. Um, data and then the user's heart and nervous system integrated and it could the transparency and um, the protection of biodata could be as simple as just keeping it into the in the device so obviously it needs to be sure that we can trust the companies which are using that method and there's transparency that they won't sell those biodata and um, so that's always like a focus on deep breathing and well-being and it could totally I feel it could shift like the whole outlook of uh, use of technology for, for the better. Um, yeah. So that's what we're working on. Yeah. Excited for this. That's, that's so exciting, just the findings that you're sharing with us. And they sound like they're preliminary and there's, there's a lot of room for, for it to continue to evolve. Um, also, yeah, our first guest we had on with uh, Jay Vidiarty, and he talks about um, human-centered design. And this is sort of essentially what you're, you're hitting here is is finding uh, better ways to design our environments to to make us more more human, more connected, you know, as opposed to the opposite of disconnecting us. Yes, I love Jay's work. Um, we just uh, we're just at the he was at the Transact conference too. Um, yeah, I think that's that's totally true. Like making it more human centered and and integrating each user's um, feelings or not. I'll shy away from feelings actually because that's like an interpretive layer. But just looking at the physiology. Actually, looking at like how how calm is somebody, how deep is somebody breathing, how's their heart rate, 
and cardiovascular diseases are the number one killer globally. Um, and I think from from my belief, you know, as you said, preliminary data, like a lot of this is sometimes tied to, you know, personal experiences and and uh, VR projects where we showed like similar biofeedback, um, breathing or heart rate biofeedback to hundreds of people. And um, based on that, is, is on, on a belief that, you know, deepening or relaxing our physiological state can, can improve well-being and tying that into um, everyday design can really support us on a global scale um, and just improve, just thinking about like a deeper inhale, it improves our whole blood flow through our whole body. So um, I believe that the opioid crisis, for instance, is tied up to that. So people are breathing too shallow. That's why a lot of attachments to like, you know, pharmaceuticals and opioids are needed. And, and it probably just gets worse and worse if people are keep breathing very shallow and their blood flow is not improving. So, and then cardiovascular diseases, you know, like clogged um, arteries and veins that that's not flowing necessarily as good as it could be when we deepen our breathing. And breathing is really like, you know, thousands of, we breathe thousands of times, you know, every day. And so that's like really like a momentary thing where we can improve it with every moment. And hours and hours are spent by each, by every, each one of us on a screen. So that could be tied in. Um, and look, just looking at simple things as physiology, not going into any, that's what we, we're trying to shy away from any more interpretive layers. We had it as like a gamified experience in VR and AR with a guided one, but just making it like looking at what is the slower, what is a color that supports the slower heart rate of the user or a deeper breathing, and then just, just adapting the chat app or the, the, the design of the phone like that, and, and just as simple as that, and it's complex enough with the machine learning behind it, but... Uh, so, but I'm really, I'm really grateful that um, people as skilled as Jay and other in the field are working on this, and because I think it needs a collective approach, and all like share our knowledge and share how we can, how we can benefit from this each other. Yeah. I have to say that your work is impressive, the breadth of your work. Um, it's like uh, you're involved in embodied practices, and you're also involved in empirical research, which is uh, what we need. Um, so. Um, I've also read that you are an artist, and how does that tie in <laughs> with the other uh, work that you're involved in? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess most people in the past knew me as an artist because that's how I got my O1 and my green card and stuff, and all these museum exhibitions. But um, I, I love the. I think as an artist, I was like looking at art as like a niche where I could develop projects which are not profit-driven and which don't have like a certain agenda behind it. And then I found like the current art market a little bit too, too also like there's a lot of numbers driven. So, but I can use, I think all like, sometimes I get beautiful public art grants and, and art residencies where I can really merge the, the creative exploration of what it means to be alive and what it means to be human, what, what is human culture, what can human culture be to tie that in with like the current technology and development of technology and mindfulness. So I'm really grateful that art still is, is out there and supported in, in many different ways and except the art market. And with, I just got invited by uh, Ellen Macy and uh, Santa Barbara uh, res art residency there to develop it there. And it's really nice to see that when we presented it at Transact last weekend that one of the first recognitions comes from the art world because I think it's really, art can always pioneer I think and and help us improve our well-being because there's not like a certain type of hardware you need to develop or like a certain type of uh, agenda you need to follow necessarily it's just like 
exploring what it, what it is to be human and how can we and then also tying in i think uh, into art like what it actually means to to improve human well-being in this world and i think as as artists and i think as every as everybody we can probably uh it's probably a beautiful shift to say like oh how can we all make this planet a more beautiful and more kind world and um and using art for that is like really has been has been uh, nice for me I was it wasn't always like this so when I still was depressed or something I, I used <laughs> in a way as like yeah it was it was a bit different I did paintings and sculptures and stuff I wasn't so happy and uh, it was nice but now I can use art for this so <laughs> Hannes, I'm just mindful of the time right now um, but I, I wanted to, to make, make uh, leave room for for any final thoughts that you might uh, didn't have a chance to go into um, before we wrap things up yeah no, uh, I mean, I, I can only invite everybody just to try out like a really deep belly breathing every day and like simple tips or just like if, if people feel stressed, just like leaving the palms open. That's a really powerful one. I'm just sitting at the desk or somewhere, just leaving the palms open helps to breathe deeper and then exploring deep, deep belly breathing, seeing how that feels. And then just like a letting go exhale or really long exhale. Um, and then just like this opening as we did in the beginning. And uh, to see if, if um, somebody is like uh, interested in this, I'm, I'm happy to chat and uh, uh, to learn from each other because I think there's so many different modalities, so many different tools out there, um, so many different um, people working on this and becoming more interconnected and supporting each other with our knowledge is a, it's a beautiful way. And uh, um, especially regarding breathing, there's so many different techniques out there. I was like, I'm always like super curious to learn and to hear and to uh yeah that's it and uh thank you guys for having me thank yeah so that, much. that's great we'll, we'll we'll share the links uh, so people can find you in in the show notes um yeah we 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 love your work and you know like thou said i think it's the intersection is really interesting and you're you're bridging a lot of gaps here a lot of in, you know important gaps i think in different disciplines um but yeah thank you thank you for coming on today that was, that was great even the way we started with uh, the breathing exercise thank you thank you so much thanks so much for having me Rumi says, I grow silent, dear soul. You speak. Come to know yourself inside silence that begets fresh anger. The moon floats between your arms. Look at me. Look at me. Do not be afraid. Darkness is only but a momentary pain. Light is only but a momentary joy. Your soul remains. Your soul knows not the tricks of linear time, and your eyes know only what they see. Your heart remains. Your heart knows not the smallness of separation. In oneness it dissolves. Just breathe. Just breathe deep into your frail and tired body. The journey can only be understood in small chapters, page after page, word after word, perpetual deepening of your being into this earth. Do not be afraid. Unity awaits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. 
You can find links and show notes at soulspacepodcast.com. Next episode, we chat with executive coach Jonathan Varkle about how to lead from the inside out. Follow us on social media at soulspacepod. That's soulspace, P-O-D. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you.